Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com. Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out-of-pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what-ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Welcome to Murder Mile. A true crime podcast, an audio-guided walk... Featuring many of London's untold, unsolved and long-forgotten murders. All set within and beyond the West End. Today's episode is a simple story about two like-minded ladies who found love, a nice flat and a happy home life together having adopted many cats. Nora and Barbara were each other's forever lovers. But true love doesn't always last. And when the romance died, it drove one lady to leave and her lover to kill. Murder Mile is researched using the original police files. It contains moments of satire, shock and grisly details. And as a dramatisation of the real events, it may also feature loud and realistic sounds. So that, no matter where you listen to this podcast, you'll feel like you're actually there. My name is Michael, I am your tour guide, and this is Murder Mile. Episode 106, The Last Love of the Chiswick Cat Ladies. Today, I'm standing in Linden Gardens, in Chiswick, W4. A place we've only tenuously been to before as we're one street south of where Kate Beagley picked up Carl Taylor for their first and last date. A quick cycle east of the arrest of Edward Tickle for the bungled abortion of Helen Mary Pickwode. And we're just a few stops from the six-day killing spree of Britain's very own Bonnie and Clyde. Coming soon to Murder Mile. Chiswick High Road is deeply pretentious and desperate to cling on to its posh aspirations of yesteryear. It's the kind of place where you'll find avocados, hummus, sold-out copies of Horse and Hound, and a broken wicker chair dumped in a skip, only to be sold six seconds later to a pipe-smoking, tweed-wearing numpty in red trousers for 600 quid. Here, hiring a cleaner is still seen as high status. They still say nanny instead of babysitter. They don't go on holiday, they holiday, big difference. And it's illegal to order a single thing off the menu unless you insist that the chef makes a tiny pointless change just for you. Less garlic, 
No wheat. Use fair trade spoons. Oh, yes. Baby Tarquin absolutely loves black truffle couscous. Linden Gardens is a peaceful little side street just off the Chiswick High Road and one road from the Chiswick Police Station. It's quiet, neat, safe and pleasant. With a line of trees on both sides, a line of cars, usually Audis, and several cats sunning themselves on the pavement, pretending to be the best pal of every crazy but easily duped and desperately lonely lady who smells of fish. Comprising of three and four-story terraces with brown brick, cream plasterwork, white windowsills and black iron gates. Some houses are wholly owned and others are a mix of rented flats. But none of them have a front garden, just a set of stone steps leading down to a small self-contained basement flat below. Almost 50 years ago, the basement flat of 15 Linden Gardens was the rented home of Nora Tenconi her lover Barbara Doyle, and their eight cats. This was their love nest, and the place they planned to grow old together. But their happiness was not to last. So as the two lovers split, this peaceful little street was shattered by tears, cries and screams, as a very fractious relationship came to a tragic end. As it was here, on Friday the 27th of August 1971, in the basement flat of 15 Linden Gardens, being at a loss at her lover's rejection, that Nora took several desperate steps, which ended in death. Nora Tanconi was born Nora O'Donnell on the 7th of September 1934 in the rural town of Charlesville, in County Cork, Ireland. As a seventh of eight siblings, in a traditionally large Irish Catholic family, Nora struggled for any shred of attention. But with those moments of affection being few and far between, this didn't make her a little monster. It actually made her a better person. Nora always loved a kiss and a cuddle, the warm, reassuring feeling of another person's embrace she would always cherish. And as much as her strict, God-fearing mother seemed to love no other than the Lord, being blessed with a big heart and a smothering hug, it was her father who she adored. Being small, thin, pale and painfully quiet, Nora became a very thoughtful person. She was emotional but never destructive, placid and always polite. Raised to be a good Catholic, Nora didn't steal, swear, and she renounced the temptations of the devil, whether theft, adultery, lustful impulses, homosexual acts, suicide, self-destruction and murder, which she feared, but was deeply confused by, as being just a child, she was unlikely to commit or even understand. And yet, gripped by an innate sense of guilt over these vile things she had never done, her faith would be sorely tested. As a blameless child, bullied into confessing the sins she was raised to renounce, 
being forced to invent sins to confess. As lies were a sin, confession had made her a sinner. Nora was a good person with a deep love of people, animals, and especially cats. But childhood was a confusing time, especially for a bright growing girl trying to work out who she was. For fear of being led astray by the temptations of the flesh, Nora's mother banned her from going to dances or having a boyfriend. So throughout her early life, any romance was in secret. And yet again, her faith had forced her to sin. Educated at the Charlesville Secondary School, a Catholic school with the sexes split, it was here that Nora enjoyed her first teenage crushes, fondles and kisses. But she didn't fancy the boys. It was the girls who fueled her passions. In 1948, age 14, Nora left school and being naturally very caring, she started work as a nanny. But struggling with the conflicts of her lustful feelings towards women, an inbuilt disgust of homosexuality, and a strong traditional desire to marry a man, have children, and to make a home, Nora didn't know who she was or what she was meant to be. Feeling overwhelmed by the pressure to conform Regardless of her own happiness, in 1952, age 17, alongside her older sister Helen, Nora moved to London. Only her new life in London would be full of angst, confusion, self-loathing and conflict. Having quit as a nanny, Nora worked a variety of jobs as a cashier in a butcher's shop on Chiswick High Road, an orderly at St. Stephen's Hospital in Fulham, and an usher at the Gaumont Cinema in Camden. And although she was described as loyal, bright and efficient, she was also prone to bouts of depression. In late 1954, age 20, following her Irish Catholic instincts and driven by a desire to finally be happy, Nora met and fell in love with a 33-year-old Italian convict called René Clive Tenconi. A bad man with a bad past and a furious temper whose criminal ways would lead her astray. In May 1955, being found guilty of breaking into a branch of W.H. Smith's to steal a rack of raincoats, hats and shirts worth £100, as a first-time offender, Nora was charged with larceny, given a two-year probation order, and bailed. But being a prolific thief, who was arrested for stealing copper cables from a GPO store in Harleston, René was sentenced to six months in prison. At this point, Nora could have run, as René was a violent, abusive brute who regularly beat her black and blue. But she didn't, as the pull of love and marriage was too great. Instead, shortly after his release from prison, Nora O'Donnell married René Tenconi. She got pregnant, and being so violently assaulted by him that she miscarried. Shortly afterwards they separated, but owing to their faith, 
they never divorced. It seemed as if Nora Tenconi was doomed to live an unhappy life where love would elude her. Her life was a confusing mess. She had broken so many sins, theft, lust, adultery, and homosexuality. And yet, she wasn't bad. She was just a big-hearted woman who craved love and the simple things that romance brings, like kisses, cuddles, love letters, romantic meals, and holding hands. By the age of 30, she had lost all hope of ever finding love. And then she met Barbara. Barbara Judith Doyle, known to her friends as Judy, was born on the 22nd of September 1936 in the New Zealand city of Wellington, having come to Britain in 1962, just one year before she met Nora. As a loving couple, Nora and Barbara were similar in so many ways. Both had parents living overseas. Both had fled difficult relationships. Both were raised Catholic, but struggled with their faith's persecution of their chosen romantic choices. And they both loved music, books, and cats. Separately, their differences complemented each other. Whereas Barbara was a raven-haired fan of fashion who would confidently strut down the Chiswick High Road in a pair of high heels, a wide-brimmed hat, and an outfit in shocking pink. Nora dressed more conservatively in a brown trouser suit, soft pumps, and being a creature of comfort, she loved nothing more than lounging on the sofa wearing her favourite, slightly worn, red bathrobe. In contrast... Barbara was more dominant, outgoing and impulsive. But her boundless energy also drove Nora to become more confident in herself. And although she would still be plagued with bouts of self-doubt and depression, this period in her life had stability and progression. Having been promoted to cashier at the Galmont Cinema in Waltham Green, manageress of her dry cleaners on Portobello Road, and later as a cashier at Hedges Butchers in Chiswick. With a combined wage of £35, Nora and Barbara moved in together, and to everyone who knew them, they were very much in love. As a gay couple, the only real conflict they encountered was Nora's own inner turmoil. As although Barbara had been a lesbian since her teens, still struggling with her faith, family and traditional urges, Nora was gripped with a tremendous guilt. As still fancying men, she felt that she didn't feel completely gay. And yet, as a faithful, loving and caring couple, they would remain together for almost a decade. In the spring of 1968, Nora and Barbara moved into a three-storey terraced house at 15 Linden Gardens, just off the Chiswick High Road. Situated on a quiet road and accessed down a set of stone steps to a small white door, it was private, neat and secure. And although a full-width window only afforded them the view of a small coal bunker under the road, 
and several feet on the pavement above. For only £10 a week, they had a small kitchenette, a bathroom, a sitting room, a toilet out back, and use of a tiny back garden, where Nora was often seen with a trowel, weeding and planting flowers. They were happy in their new home. The tenants were welcoming, the area was good, and with six cats of their own, two adopted strays, and feeling the need to feed any feline which passed by. Although this was the kind of unconventional gay setup that her God-fearing mother refused to approve of, finally Nora had found love, happiness and contentment. And assuaging the pull of her traditional Irish urges, she also had a loving partner, a nice little home and a large family of children, all of them cats. 15A Linden Gardens would be their home for the next three years. But following the sudden death of Nora's father in May 1968, coupled by frequent bust-ups and spiralling mood swings, which fractured this once-loving relationship, the Christmas of 1970 would mark an end for the Chiswick Cat Ladies. It wasn't that things were bad, it was just that things weren't as good as they once were. Life plodded on, love became stale, and like so many couples, those first special sparks of sexual attraction had been dampened down to the daily drudgery of predictable routines. It was nobody's fault, except time. They kissed less, they hugged less, and they touched less. Even sitting on the sofa listening to the radio, whereas once they had cuddled, now they sat ends apart, with a wide void between them, filled by cats. Like her smallest kitten, Nora was a homebody, content to stretch out and snooze by a warm fire, with a nice little meal in her belly and kisses on her head, all snuggled up in her slightly threadbare red bathrobe. Whereas Barbara was more akin to the stray Tom that they had adopted, who popped in, said hi, got fed, and headed out to prowl the town, looking for new friends and fun times ahead. So it wasn't surprising when the obvious happened. At a Christmas party held by her employer, 34-year-old accounts clerk Barbara Doyle met 33-year-old secretary Sylvia Long, a lady with the same hobbies, same style, and the same love of music. The only downside being that Sylvia didn't like cats. But that aside, a friendship blossomed into a love affair. And soon enough, Barbara would be spending less nights with Nora in Chiswick and more nights with Sylvia in Tooting. Being quiet and insular, Nora sensed something was wrong but said nothing. And as each dreary month passed, the more they argued, the less they talked, and the further they drifted apart. On the 26th of July, 1971, needing a break, Nora headed back to Charlesville to soak up the reassuring sights of her hometown, to see her much-missed siblings, and to lay flowers on her beloved father's grave. 
It was the sanctuary she so badly needed in her moment of crisis. But it was not to be. As a devout Catholic, sickened by her own child's homosexual affair, a bitter row erupted, and choosing God over her little girl's happiness, Nora left, vowing never to return to Ireland or to see her mother ever again. Nora was distraught. Her head was a mess. Her life was falling apart. And having lost her father, her mother, her siblings, the land that she loved, and her faith, all she had left was Barbara and the cats. On the 7th of August, Nora returned home to her basement flat at 15A Linden Gardens. Being told by Barbara that their eight-year relationship was over, that she had met someone else, and that they would be moving into a flat together as soon as possible, a blazing fight ignited as the two ladies' screams wailed across this quiet little street right throughout the night. And the very next day, Nora met Sylvia. It was over. Nora had nothing. Her thoughts were muddy, her emotions were dull, and later described by the prison psychiatrist that she had reacted like a cornered rat. With her life totally destroyed, she suddenly became paradoxically angered in a way which was uncharacteristic for her. Drinking heavily, this usually calm, placid and thoughtful woman was reduced to a hysterical, impulsive shell. On the morning of Monday the 9th of August, having phoned Barbara and threatened to smash up her prized radio if she didn't return to her, with her bluff called and her prized possession in pieces, Nora watched as the first of Barbara's belongings were loaded into a car and driven away to Sylvia's flat. And just like her life, once it was full of love and happiness, but now it was nothing but an empty void. That night, as she hysterically wept with only her cats for company, unable to imagine any kind of life without her, and heard by Barbara's parting words, describing their time together as eight years of hell. Having knocked back two half bottles of gin and rum, with a kitchen knife, Barbara slashed open both of her wrists. Being blooded and barely conscious, thanks to the compassion and quick thinking of her landlady, Nora survived her suicide attempt. Her wounds were stitched, and being so depressed, that she gave up work, even though Nora was prescribed a cocktail of antidepressants, tranquilizers, and something to quell her anxiety. All she did was cry, day and night. As without Barbara, she felt as if she was nothing. Resigned to her fate and a life of loneliness, Nora reluctantly agreed to mutually split from Barbara, on the condition that, as Nora wasn't working, 
she helped her out with £8.40 a week for the rent, 50 pence a week for the cat's fish. And in two weeks' time, Barbara would move out for good. It seemed a logical compromise, only it had one major flaw. Sylvia didn't like cats. Whenever she stayed at the Chiswick flat, she always insisted that Barbara lock them outside whenever she was in. So in their new flat together, these cats were not welcome. Left in Nora's care, being depressed, drugged and often drunk, unable to look after herself, let alone a family of cats, Nora felt forced to make a very fateful decision and had a vet put all six of her cats to sleep. Their deaths hurt Barbara deeply, but feeling like she had destroyed her own babies, it affected Nora worse. Like a final stab to the heart, being unable to cope with their loss, with not a single meow or purr in their sparsely furnished flat and its walls lined with packed bags and boxes, on the evening of Thursday the 26th of August, putting her head in the gas oven, once again, Nora tried to take her own life. Rescued by Marguerite, their elderly landlady, that night, she sat down with both ladies in their sitting room for a chat over a cup of tea. Knowing that through the haze of drink, drugs and depression, Nora was a truly loving person who was level-headed, caring and thoughtful. As all three went to their respective beds, Nora and Barbara had agreed it was time to move on. As a devout Catholic, Nora hadn't committed a single sin until her first confession. She wasn't bad. She was just a big-hearted woman who craved love and the simple things that romance brings, like kisses, cuddles, love letters and holding hands. But as true love eluded her, she would break so many sins, such as theft, lust, adultery, homosexuality, suicide. And soon, she would commit the ultimate sin. At 7am, on the morning of Friday the 27th of August 1971, Barbara awoke and ran a bath in the first floor bathroom that they shared with the rest of the house. After half an hour, she returned to the basement. She did her makeup and hair. She dressed in a pink dress, a blue cardigan, black shoes, and her favourite rain mac in shocking pink. So by 8am, Barbara Doyle was ready to leave. In contrast to this immaculate lady, who she loved more than life itself, Nora was a mess of bed hair, a gaunt complexion, and red puffy eyes. As although they had agreed to mutually split, dressed in her tatty threadbare red bathrobe, Nora pleaded for her to stay as tears streamed down her face. Nora's words were fruitless. She knew it. And as her once forever lover asserted, Nora, no, I'm leaving you. I've nothing more to say. Both ladies were unaware of how true that statement was 
as Barbara would never utter another word. And from the door of the kitchen, as she took a last look at her home for the last three years, a place so full of good times and happy memories, as she turned away from the little back garden where their family of cats once played amongst the posies, suddenly, Nora snapped. Like a cornered rat, acting without thinking, instinctively, she grabbed a garden trowel and smacked Barbara hard over the head with a small iron tool as blood gushed down her pink waterproof mac. In panic, Nora gave chase as Barbara staggered along the passageway towards the front door, pleading for her forgiveness and crying, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, as the dazed lady stumbled to make her escape. Blinded by the blood in her eyes, as Nora desperately yanked her jilted lover away from the door, they both tumbled into the sitting room, tripped over the rug, and hit the wooden floor hard, as Barbara's head bounced off the cast iron fireplace, and above her right eye, a large gash poured profusely. Grabbing a tea towel to stem the bleeding, as Nora dabbed at the gaping wound, begging, I'm sorry, don't, I didn't mean to hurt you, and tried to silence her by beseeching, don't scream, please, don't. Fearing for her life, as her ex-lover bared down upon her, Barbara's screams only got louder. And before Nora even knew what she was doing, being angry, desperate and lovesick, having pulled the cord from her tatty red bathrobe and wound it swiftly around Barbara's small pale neck, with both fists gripping it tight until her knuckles were white, Nora cried, Don't scream! Don't scream! as Barbara's terrified face turned a dark shade of puce. And as Nora stared into the slowly reddening eyes of the woman who was once her lover, although a few faltering claw marks from her pink fingernails struggled to free her last living breath. Before Nora knew it, the relationship was over and Barbara was dead. Being sat alone and stroking her dead lover's bloody head in the sitting room that they once shared, a short while later, Nora called her sister Helen, who lived nearby, and her young nephew Anthony, who ran to the Chiswick police station just one street over. Officers arrived at 10am. A doctor declared life as extinct, and with the evidence matching Nora's full but emotional confession, the investigation, conducted by Detective Chief Inspector Hurley and Detective Inspector Busby, was short but thorough. Being full of remorse and confusion, there was no denying that this was a crime of passion, committed while the balance of her mind was disturbed and without any premeditation. The autopsy confirmed that her head injuries were caused by blunt force trauma by a trowel and the fireplace. Her death was due to asphyxiation by strangulation and with a wealth of evidence, alongside the boxes, the packed bags, the broken bits of radio, the cries, the bloodstains, the six dead cats, and the tatty red bathrobe, 
which out of habit Nora had hung up on the back of the bedroom door. She was arrested for the murder of Barbara Doyle. On Tuesday the 7th of September 1971, barely 10 days later, Nora Tanconi, formerly O'Donnell, was tried at the Old Bailey in a short trial which was described as an open and shut case. With the psychiatrist of Holloway Prison concluding that being trapped like a cornered rat, with no prior experience and being unable to cope, Nora had snapped. At her trial, she pleaded not guilty to murder, but guilty of manslaughter by diminished responsibility. And as both the prosecution and defence accepted this plea, Nora was sentenced to three years in prison. And after her release, her fate is unknown. All the Chiswick Cat Lady ever craved was a kiss, a cuddle and a hug. And for that, she paid the ultimate price. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much for listening to Murder Mile. I hope you enjoyed the episode and all of the hard work that goes into it. It may only be 30 minutes long, but many of them take months to research, a week to write and edit, and it literally kills me to finish. But if you also like some pointless gobbledygook where nothing much happens, except I say some words, I drink some tea, we do a quiz, I eat a cake, and then I switch off the recording... If that sounds great, stay tuned. Before that, a big thank you to my new Patreon supporters, who are Kath Mounts and Carl Phillips. I thank all of you for your support. It's very much appreciated. Also a thank you to Anne-Marie Griffin for your very kind donation. I thank you too. And a huge thank you to everyone who continues to listen to the podcast. There's a lot of choice out there, so I'm glad that you're staying with the show. Murder Mile was researched, written and performed by myself, with the main musical themes written and performed by Eric Stein and John Books of Cult With No Name. Thank you for listening, and sleep well. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. 
J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Oh, it's going to be a bugger. Oh, oh. Hello, everyone. Oh. Welcome to Extra Mile. Core, oh, dear, that was a nightmare to record. Got up early to try and get stuff done. There's, uh, it's been raining a lot, so it's a re- really noisy and echoing at the moment. You know, people walking past, which is fine, I'm used to. And I was racing to get it done because I know that my neighbour normally gets his engine on at about 8am. So I was racing and racing and trying to get it done. And then halfway through the record, you probably just hear a low hum next to me. He was like revving his engine. I was like, oh no. And then it was like, then it was like, it's a low hum. And it's, you know, it's not really a lot you can do. You just got to. So I'm hoping, I'm hoping I'm going to have to edit around this. And I'm hoping I can get rid of that horrible hum sound in the background. But I don't know. I may need to end up recording, re recording half of this. Ugh. But I hope you enjoyed that episode. Something different. Again, I'm going to make a cup of tea. Uh, as you know, I always try and give you something different every week. So, uh, obviously, last week was uh, the uh, man-made disaster one that we had, the tidal wave. So, um, next week's is a very different different one as well. That's very different. So, each, each week I deliberately pick something different, something unusual. So, hopefully, um, you never really know what you're going to get. Uh, it's like a box of chocolates. Um, so that's kind of the idea. Um, I think it's, hang on, I'm just putting my sugar in. Hang on, oh, enter the last two sugar. There we go. Uh, I think there's nothing worse. I, I, I listen to a lot, I used to listen to a lot more podcasts and I kind of found that with some of my favorites, it's just the same every week. I had some comedy ones, I had some history ones and you know, it's the same every week. And I think that's the problem is if there's a format it, 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 it's 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 familiar for you so it draws you in but the problem is sometimes it can be a bit stale and the same and especially with true crime as well people tend to do the same shit every week it's like oh there was a bad man and he does do killings oh look how bad he is oh he went crazy oh it's like oh it's the same every week which is why i try and do something different you know like we had a, we had a child killing in a different era and then Next week's is a, is a, a three-parter, just so you know, uh, which is interesting. I'm looking forward to that one. That one's a really weird one. Uh, but, yeah, just trying to mix things up a bit and uh, working out next year as well uh, what that will be. So what else, what, what have we got to say uh, while the tea is brewing? Well, well, while the water's doing. I'm all over the shop today. While the water's brewing, right. Um, uh, just so you know, I, I know that I posted about this ages ago. About th- I've got a threadless store where you can buy stuff. Uh, I've I've done all of the Murder Mile masks, which is very exciting. So that's online now. So the, it, there's a link in the show notes. You can go there. You could buy. I've got all these uh, special masks that you can wear uh, to protect you against against the nasty virus. And it's got Murder Mile on it. And it's got like there's some Reg Christie ones. There's a Blackout Ripper one, which is all exciting. Um, if you would have looked on them recently, I apologise for this. I know I sent everyone to it recently, but what I didn't realise is I thought you 
to Threadless, you just upload your image, and then because it, 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 it says, do you want it on all these products? And I went, yes. What I didn't realize is you've got to go through every image, and you've got to double-check everything, because it, uh, most of them were wrong. It was like half an image or a little corner. It's just bollocks. So I've gone through and I've redone most of them. I've junked a lot of stuff as well. So all the masks are up to date. The mugs are pretty good i think all the t-shirts are done uh so have a look if you want to there's there's some interesting stuff on there uh other exciting news oh touch wood touch wood everyone quick uh i'm gonna try and reopen murder mile walks uh so the first one i think uh is so i could be wrong about this i've got this down as sunday the 11th of october at 11 a.m it could be the fourth i'm not too sure uh, <laughs> i've just written this down as 11th Actually, I've written 11th, which is, well, anyway, uh, the first or second Sunday of October. If you go to the website, you can buy tickets on that. What I'm going to do, I'm going to keep it very socially distanced. It's only going to be 10 people. I'm going to ask if everyone can bring a mask with them. That would be great. Uh, hand sanitizer. We're going to keep our distance. Uh, and I'm only going to do one a week. So it's going to be very limited. Uh, if people have vouchers that they've already booked for Murder Mile Walks, welcome to use them if they expired during the the pandemic or whatever was going on just email me what i'll do is i'll extend it for another year i don't have a problem with that so just just let me know um so that's good so hopefully murder mile will start up again in, in a in a small safe way uh but how long for obviously all the kids go back to school in september and kids tend to be germ bags Oh, so I, th I think that if there's going to be a resurgence, it's going to be at the end of September. God help us all. And obviously, we've got Christmas to look forward to as well. Ugh, doom laden. Uh, anyway, um, quite a few people have been saying about uh, that the, um, they don't want to become a regular uh, uh, patron supporter. Patron's very good. If you want to support the podcast, you get lots of free stuff. Uh, but if you don't want to be a patron supporter but you do want to kind of financially support the podcast which which many people do uh, it's not essential there's a new system that's just been set up called supporter uh, it's in there's a link in the show notes you don't need any paypal account or anything like that you just click on the link it says how much do you want to support and money goes towards murder mile yeah and and who knows i might yeah, let my tea brew for a bit. Um, with supporter, I might be able to uh, afford maybe some proper milk. Who knows? Because I'm still using powdered milk. Anyway, so that's all good. So that's good. So threadless, you can go to threadless. You can buy buy some stuff. I don't make much off threadless, but then again, I don't have, I don't do anything with it. They make all the stuff. They deliver it. I just upload the images. Uh, so that's good uh, Murder Mile Walks returning start of October uh, and uh, uh, you can make donations to Murder Mile via uh, Supporter which is all very good so uh, what else we got let's do the quiz then we'll go into some questions so uh, as always don't forget I might edit stuff out of this episode so the questions may not appear in the episode I may accidentally balls them up very shortly when we go through the extra mile bit who knows uh, I'm going to discuss my cake in a bit yeah don't worry the important bit um, uh, okay question one what town did Nora originally come from question two what city did Barbara originate from 
Question three. What was the first name of Nora's first husband? Hang on. I've written first. So I've done that wrong. Sorry. What was the full name of Barbara's first husband? It's three names. First name, middle name, surname. Uh, question four. Uh, what was Nora's first crime before the murder? Question five, uh, what was Barbara's nickname? Uh, everyone actually called her this. They never really called her Barbara, but uh, I decided to call her Barbara throughout this story just to keep things consistent. Question six, how many siblings did Nora have and in what order was she born? So how many brothers and sisters did she have or how many siblings did she have and where did she come in that order? Question seven, how much money did Nora ask for from, Bar from Barbara on a weekly basis to buy fish for the cats? See, all the important questions. Question eight. What colour was Barbara's rain mac? And before you answer that question, what colour was her cardigan? Ooh, exciting questions. Whoa. Impress your friends with your knowledge. Uh, question nine. What was Barbara's new lover called? I'll probably balls up this question next. And question 10. Uh, Barbara and her new lover met at a Christmas party of their employer who had the initials of N-S-O-P-A. Nasopa, as I'm calling it. But what does Nasopa stand for? Hmm. Interesting. Right. Before we get into the next bit, I am going to balls up the next bit. I've just seen what I need to discuss. So I'm going to grab my tea. Stirry, stirry, stirry. It's a, it's a nice Yorkshire tea, not the biscuit version. Biscuit version is very nice, but I, because I, um, I eat a lot of biscuits, it tends to not be great with it. So I tend to have the, the standard Yorkshire tea, which is a very nice tea. It's got a nice, it's a nice dark colour to it, and it's uh, yeah, it's yeah, it's got a nice, nice flavour. It's not too bitter. I think I like PG, but sometimes PG can be a bit bitter and some of the cheaper teas like the tesco's one are just bloody awful it's like sludge oh horrible you've got to have a good tea right okay uh, oh bollocks okay uh let's do some extra stuff that wasn't in here so this is interesting um if you're listening to this episode on the day it goes out uh the day it went out is the 49th anniversary of the murder so there you go it wasn't kind of planned that way it's just kind of turned up the way i did uh, i did one episode recently where i did plan it around an anniversary i can't remember what it was i think it was episode 100 the uh the one about the amaritza massacre uh okay let's see what else we've got oh i don't want to do that question because it gives away too much uh so okay leading up to the murder so sunday the 6th of august was the the day that nora met barbara's new lover not mentioning her name because that's one of the questions uh nora and um uh barbara had been up all night they've been arguing all night the next day um uh the, the barbara's new lover turned up there was a bit of an argument between the three of them in the flat Nora was saying, uh, Judy, which... Oh, I just gave away one of the bloody questions, didn't I? Pretend you didn't hear that. There's two questions that I almost gave away. It's hard to do this. 
Oh, I'm not going to edit this out anyway. Uh, she said, uh, Barbara always gets attached to people. She was saying this to uh, Barbara's new lover. It always happens after she goes away on holidays. Uh, Nora uh, was upset and she was trying to be the peacemaker as she always was. Um, but it was there that night that uh, Barbara and her new lover said, look, we're looking for a new flat. Uh, if we find one we like, uh, we're going to move in together. Uh, uh, but obviously they've been, they've been together for about six, seven months by that point, kind of uh, on and off. Um, as mentioned, the Monday morning after that moment, uh, Nora tried to kill herself. For, it was reckoned on the first time on here by slitting her wrists. She drank half a bottle of gin and half a bottle of rum. She wasn't much of a drinker, to be honest. She really didn't like alcohol. But she started to drink by that point. Um, she cut her wrists, but then... Um, do you know, as as often happens, do you know people kind of realise what they've done at that point, or they or or they don't truly want to kill themselves. So she went to her landlady and she said, "Look, I've you know, do you know, wrists are bleeding. She was drunk." Uh, the landlady Marguerite Perkins, I think I mentioned, uh, drove her to West London Hospital, uh, where she was attended to. It, it looked it was superficial wounds, so it wasn't too bad. She uh, she'd lost she'd lost some blood but she she wasn't kept in hospital overnight uh, and therefore a, a doctor was able to come out and uh, uh, assess her as well um the landlady as well seems like a really nice lady like the the landlady she had a car so she drove down to fulham to go and get barbara to bring her back to bring her to the hospital to say you know nora's nora's tried to kill herself so so the landlady seems like a really sweet lady um doctor prescribed her she was on a Stemontil, which was an antidepressant, Librium, which is obviously a tranquilizer, and Stematil, which is an anxiety med- medication. Uh, same anxiety med- medication as um, uh, Ronnie Cray. Uh, why do I know that? I don't know. Uh, <laughs> uh, in- weird bit here, it kind of says that, you know, uh, if you remember in the story, it says after that moment, uh, she called Barbara and she said, uh, come back and stay with me forever or I'm going to smash up your radio uh, her radio was obviously Barbara's favourite thing she smashes it up uh, and it's all in pieces but weirdly in the police statement later uh, it says that there was blood found in the room and some of it was over the radiogram which was that so either they had two radiograms or it wasn't smashed up it's not really clear to be honest there's no there's no crime scene photos um and to be honest, it doesn't really make a difference to the story. It's not like, not like oh, she lied. It was like, you know, there could be two radios. Who knows? Uh, so what else we got? Uh, oh, try and try not to give up so much information about uh, the death of the cats is kind of an odd one. Uh, we have two kind of uh, statements about that. One kind of um, one side of the statement says that. Uh, uh, Nora had obviously asked her to pay a little bit of money towards the the rent and some money for the fish of an amount that I'm not going to say because that gives away the question Um, but that uh, Barbara didn't give her any money and started taunting her saying I'm not going to give you any money for this you can't afford to look after the cats which doesn't make any sense because we know that Barbara loved the cats as well Um, uh, whether Nora put down the cats 
to kind of some people have referenced this thing do you know uh to, to kind of uh antagonize barbara and kill the cats and say look i've killed your cats in the same way that she smashed up the radio but do you know she may have done it out of angst but she's both of them seemed really upset about this it's just you know this is their beloved cats so it's the the six cats that they owned obviously they didn't kill the cats that they'd kind of the strays that they adopted they kind of just disappeared off boat going past there's a bit of noise um yeah so uh Nora, uh, apparently you know, the house had gone into disarray she was in disarray she wasn't able to feed the cats to really look after them uh, she couldn't afford to look after the cats anymore so uh, it it is said that they both mutually consented to the st- destruction of the cats but in different references it says Nora did it and then the other one is, is they both agreed to it so uh, it's it's really hard to tell who was right or wrong but then again it doesn't really uh, add up much to the story to be honest uh, again as mentioned the day before uh, Barbara was due to leave um, Nora tried to gas herself in the flat. There's a little, uh, they had a little chair, a little kitchenette at the back near the garden. Um, she turned on all the gas. She put her head in the oven. But by this point, obviously, this is 1971. Um, the gas board, because a lot of people had started, not a lot of people, you know, there's been an, enough people to cause this a problem that uh, if you put your head in the oven, the carbon monoxide would kill you. So what the a gas board had started to do they'd started to put uh, an amount of i think it's, it's some kind of sulfur agent in there so before the carbon monoxide uh overtakes you and you, you go unconscious you'd actually start being sick so she tried to put a head in the oven to kill herself it didn't work um uh she ended up being sick and i i it doesn't really say what happened but it's believed that uh, marguerite her landlady again came down to look after her it seems like a nice lady seemed like she was always there uh what else have we got day of the murder oh i'll do i'll do um nora's statement so nora gave quite a few statements the police were uh, really good with her obviously she was a woman in a lot of distress they called in a doctor uh they gave her a sedative you know they sat her down it was clearly they weren't gonna have to do much work over this one it was clearly as mentioned a crime of passion she was clearly upset it wasn't premeditated they knew that there was no murder weapons anywhere it was everything pointed to the fact that this was just an argument that erupted and then you know she just lost her Uh, and all of her statements match up that so uh, Nora gave loads of statements but this is one of them uh I'm gonna have to change this Judy and oh I've done it again just fucked it up Barbara and I fucking hell Barbara and I uh, okay this is Nora's one of Nora's statements Barbara and I have been living together for about eight years but today she was going to leave me and live with someone else she got up and had a bath and was leaving at eight o'clock just before she was leaving I got up and went out to the kitchen to ask her to stay that was just before eight o'clock she said she wouldn't stay and was leaving anyway I went to the toilet this is I took this bit out of the story because it's I, you know, trying to explain to you the planogram of what the house, what the house looks like, and the fact that you know, because it's nineteen seventies, they had an outdoor toilet, so they didn't have an indoor toilet. They had a shared bathroom on the first floor, but it didn't have a toilet in it. The toilet was outside in the garden, not in the garden, but in kind of you know, a lot of people had an out. I remember those from the seventies, an outdoor kind of uh, toilet. So, 
but she did she she got upset she went out to the outside toilet uh, she came out uh, she said Barbara was standing in the garden just outside of the kitchen door I picked up something uh, that turned out to be a trowel according to uh, the detectives when they turned up they found blood on it it it, it matched the wounds as well only uh, Barbara uh, Nora didn't seem to know that at the time she was you can clearly see in her statement she's in a bit of a state uh, and uh, I was in a fury and a temper because again uh, she said she was leaving me I can't think what I picked up, but I hit her with it. Uh, I think I hit her uh, her on the back of the head because she was walking away at the time, which makes sense. It was at the back of the head and she was heading towards the door. Uh, I put the thing down and ran and ran into the front door. I ran after her saying I was sorry. I grabbed her and she fell down and hit her head on the radiogram. She says the radiogram, but in the later statement, she she says that it was the corner of the fireplace, which it was. Uh, she was bleeding from here she points to the top of her right eye I got frightened I picked up a tea towel to stop the bleeding she got up but then we both fell over and she hit her head on the fireplace Uh, Judy was screaming all the time I tried to stop the bleeding but she pushed me away Uh, I was so scared I just wanted her to be quiet I took the cord out of my bathrobe pocket Uh, she says bathrobe pocket but it was actually around her waist uh, I believe that later on when the police found it she'd actually put the, the cord back in her pocket uh, I told her to shut up but she wouldn't I put the cord around her neck and after a few minutes she stopped screening, screaming I then realised she was dead and I would have to go to the police I called I took this out of the story because it didn't make sense uh, I called for Mrs Bowden who was the lady on the ground floor and she called for Nora's sister Helen who was local and then the sister turns up and then the nephew goes to the police station That's I changed that in the story because it was just like she calls Mrs Bowden, Mrs Bowden calls her sister her sister tells her nephew to go to the police and then the police turn it was just like you'd be like what? who's doing what? so I just made it simpler doesn't really change anything anyway uh, what else we got? Uh, what happened please go in uh yeah uh, okay I, I took out a lot of the witness statements um it's kind of interesting do you know people heard screams between eight they say between eight fifteen ish eight eight fifteen ish some say eight thirty uh so that leaves about half an hour to an hour that pretty much those who did hear the screams didn't do anything um Obviously, Nora goes to Kathleen, who's the ground floor tenant, says uh, to call her sister Helen. Uh, 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 she's wor- uh, obviously uh, Kathleen's worried that Nora's going to try and commit suicide again. Um, she wouldn't. Nora was obviously in a mess. She wouldn't really say what was going on. She wouldn't let. Kathleen go down to the flat to see what had happened. She, she was just like, "Please just call the police. Please just call my sister." Sister turns up. Uh, they call the police. Obviously, the police station is literally one street away, so they don't need to use the phone. They just go straight round. Uh, so the sister arrives, and the son at nine forty-five a.m. goes straight to the police station. So the police arrive literally around ten o'clock. Uh, first person to arrive was temporary detective uh, Simpson. Uh, and shortly after that, Dr. Stuart Kahn, who arrived on the scene and uh, pronounced that uh, Barbara was dead. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. What else is there? 
Oh yeah. So post-mortem was conducted by Dr. Hugh Johnson at the Hammersmith Mortuary. Uh, he found signs of strangulation by both hand and ligature. Uh, the ligature was the, the the cord from the bathrobe which had been removed. Um, he declared it as death by asphyxiation due to strangulation. He said there were purple abrasions to the neck, a one-inch cut above the right eye, which is uh, where she fell, uh, a one-inch cut to the right back of her head, which was the trowel. There were no defensive wounds to the arms and legs, uh, no skull fracture, uh, so it wasn't hard enough to kind of knock her out or to fracture her skull. But he said, because it's obviously the blood vessels are close to the top of the skin on the top of the head, so there's a lot of blood loss there. Uh, but not enough uh, blood loss to be serious. Um, uh, Barbara's larynx was fractured, her tongue was bruised and pushed forward. Uh, a lot of hemorrhaging, obviously, to her skin and eyes. And some claw marks around her neck, which was where she'd been trying to um, grab the uh, the bathrobe cord and to pull it away uh, before she ended up being strangled. Uh, all the blood found in the room was type B, which was Barbara's. Uh, uh, Detective Constable Withers uh, found the trowel outside. He had found blood on it as well. Um, uh, he also found on it some uh, red fibres. There were red fibres everywhere that are kind of from the bathrobe as well. Uh, what else have we got? As mentioned, yeah, um, uh, in the front room was the bloodstained cloth, the tea towel that she'd used to try and stem the blood. Uh, hanging up behind the bedroom door was the bloodstained bathrobe uh, with the bloodstained cord in the pocket. Um they they knew that uh, Nora wasn't trying to hide the bathrobe. It was just, you know, she was in a day, day state. She did the most normal thing she did. She took off her bathrobe. She put it up behind the door. It's kind of, you know, people go into kind of automate, automated mode. And that was one of her things. Uh, and in the bathroom cabinet, they found all of her pills. Um, it was uncertain whether she'd actually taken her pills for that day. Uh, oh, yeah, uh, witness statements. Um uh, yeah. Uh, Kathleen Bowden was in on the ground floor her two sons were there James and Dennis her daughter at the time was on holiday um, between 8.15 and 8.30 uh, they were preparing breakfast and they heard some screams but um, they believed that the screams were not coming from downstairs but coming from next door because the next door flat apparently the people on the top floor were very quarrelsome they said uh, oh engine has gone off next door that's bloody bloody marvellous I may have to re-record I might re-record that last bit um, they said there was a terrific rumpus uh, of screaming and such like <coughs> I'm going to redo it just in case I hope I can remember where I stopped um, uh, what else we got uh, yeah no as mentioned at the start Marguerite Perkins the landlady on the top floor she was there but she was very deaf uh, and she'd got a radio on, on that morning, so she didn't know that anything was happening until about 10.52am. But she said, both girls were very charming, very reasonable, and I can see no reason for the incident. Uh, and I think that's it. There was um, a, 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 an inquest held at Acton Magistrates Court on the 1st of September. Uh, that was pretty quick. Uh, so a couple of days later, 7th of September, it went straight to trial at the Old Bailey. And that was an open and shut case, as mentioned. Um, 
both the prosecution and the defence agreed that it was wasn't murder. It was uh, manslaughter by diminished responsibility, and Nora was sentenced to three years in prison. I've done a little bit of a search to try and find out more about where she is now. Nothing. She kind of disappears after that. Uh, so uncertain. Uh, maybe she was hospitalised after that point. Do you know? Um, quite a fragile woman maybe you know uh given the fact of what what she she realized that she'd done probably quite a horrific thing she probably hospitalized so uh yeah maybe maybe she went back to ireland who knows um maybe she's not using her married name anymore maybe it was i, I mean i don't know either way i hope she's i hope she's uh, had a better life after that and uh i hope she found peace so uh, but yeah, no, just three years she served in prison for that. Uh, so, okay, let's do the quiz questions and then I'll re-record what I've just done. Oh, so annoying. Uh, question number one. Oh, my cake. I forgot to mention my cake is a uh, vanilla cream crown. Mmm, yummy. It's kind of a, a round, fluffy pastry with uh, a little bit of icing and in the centre is kind of like a, a custody filling with... These look like not almonds. Could be almonds. I don't know. Yeah. Oh, I've had, I've had one already, so that's going to be nice. Um, question number one: What town did Nora originally come from? Another celebrity. Oh, that's nice. The answer was Charlesville in County Cork. Question number two: What city did Barbara originate from? Answer. Wellington in New Zealand. Wellington in New Zealand? Question, question number three. What was the what was the full name of Barbara's first husband? His full name was Rene Clive Tenconi. Seems a bit weird, doesn't it? He was Italian and obviously Tenconi is an Italian name. Rene you'd expect to be a French name. Clive? <laughs> Clive? Uh, question four. What was Nora's first crime before the murder? Uh, in May 1955, uh, her and Rene broke into a branch of Dubbrate Smiths on the North End Road in Fulham to steal a rack of raincoats, hats and shirts worth £100. Uh, she was charged with larceny. Uh, question five. What was Barbara's nickname? I gave this away about a thousand times, so you should have got this. Uh, her middle name was Judith, so her nickname was Judy. Judy, Judy, Judy. There you go. A little bit of a Cary Grant impression there. Uh, question six. How many siblings did Nora have and in what order were they born? Uh, she was the seventh of eight siblings. Uh, question seven. How much money did Nora ask for from Barbara on a weekly basis to buy fish for the cats? That was 50p. Uh, question eight. What colour was Barbara's rain mac and what colour was her cardigan? The rain mac, of course, was shocking, was shocking pink. And the cardigan was pale blue. Ooh! Uh, question nine. What was Barbara's new lover called? I gave this away a hundred times, although I didn't give away her, um, her surname. So if you got the surname, well done to you. Her full name was Sylvia Long. And question 10. 
Barbara and her new lover met at a Christmas party from the, by their employer, who had the initials of NSOPA, NSOPA. But what does NSOPA stand for? It was the National so that it was the National Society of Operative Printers and Assistants. Ooh, sounds exciting. So anyway, that's that done. I hope you enjoyed that. That was uh, that was episode one oh six. We've got episode one oh seven starting next week. A uh, three parter, I think. So uh, hope you enjoy that. Uh, I'm off to eat my cake, have some tea, and I'm gonna I'm gonna re-record some of the bits that I couldn't do because he had his bloody engine on. Anyway, uh, have yourself a good week. Stay safe. Be good. Be happy. Don't get murdered. Otherwise, you'll end up on the podcast. Lots of love. Bye-bye. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Want to get a chiseled look in the jawline? Sculpt and shape your jawline with added volume from Juvederm Volux XC. Juvederm Volux XC is an injectable gel specifically designed to be robust enough to improve moderate to severe loss of jawline definition. And it is the first and only hyaluronic acid filler approved for the jawline. Add volume to your jawline for a chiseled look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M dot com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.